0: you've been here long enough you know that um, I enjoy a good story um, I enjoy stories that aren't even that good sometimes don't I but uh, I had a friend who was uh, playing for the Washington Redskins at the time that um, coach Joe Gibbs was there and he told them a story of a friend of his which is which was a true story and I want to share it with you because you know there's something about true stories that you know just I really get interested in and he told a story of a friend of a uh, Coach Gibbs had a friend and uh, we'll, we'll call him Frank for just to protect his identity but uh, h- h- Frank had a, f- a Labrador Retriever that he owned. It was just a beautiful dog. Just a gorgeous dog. This guy loved this dog. It was obedient. It was faithful. It was everything that a dog was supposed to be. And one day um, Frank looked out the window and he saw his dog out in the front out by the porch and it was kind of on its haunches and its head was down and, and it, it looked like it had something in his mouth and Frank went out, and sure enough, in his mouth was the neighbor's rabbit dead. And Frank got a little bit concerned. He didn't know how to handle this. Now, Frank was stunned, and he wanted to avoid conflict at all costs, so all these things kept running through his brain about all the options that he had available to him and what he was going to do. And he came up with one as a last resort, but it was going to take a little bit of work, but he thought this was the only way that he was going to be able to avoid conflict with his neighbor. So he walked outside to the dog, and he gently pulled this dead rabbit out of the dog's mouth. He took it inside the house, took it in the bathroom, got a bubble bath going for it, washed off all the dirt and all the dog slobber and, and, and everything that was with it, got it all cleaned up, took it in and got the blow dryer out, the hair dryer, and fluffed it all up and brushed its hair and had this white, shiny rabbit. Man, this thing looked good as new. It just looked like it was sleeping. So at night, Frank jumps over the fence to his neighbor's yard. He goes to the rabbit hutch. He opens up the hutch. He puts it in, shuts the hutch. He jumps back over, and he figures he's off the hook. The next morning, as he's looking out the window, here comes his neighbor just fuming up the sidewalk with this rabbit in his hand. He starts pounding on the door. Frank opens the door, and and he says, what's the matter? He goes, Frank, his neighbor says, Frank, we got a real sickie in the neighborhood, Frank. A real sickie. And Frank goes, Why? what's the matter? He goes, you see my rabbit here? This rabbit died last week. And we buried it out in our backyard. And some sickie, Frank, dug it up and put it back in the hutch. Can you believe we got some sickie like that in the neighborhood? You know, and I thought, isn't that so, so true? So many times we do things that turn to be at like the dumbest things in the world to avoid conflict. We don't like conflict. I don't know many people that do. There are a handful of people who live for conflict. And then there are the rest of us who don't really enjoy conflict at all. And we do the dumbest things to avoid it. And I think the reason that we avoid it is because we have not learned, and I think it takes the grace of God, obviously, to do it, but we haven't learned how to disagree with one another in an agreeable way. And that takes grace. Try as we may to avoid conflict, Inevitably, conflict is a part of life. If you remember when we are in Romans 14, we were encouraged to, in verse 19, he says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Let us pursue, for the, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. But the reality of that is that quite often that's a difficult thing to do. And so I want to lay out the ground rules again. We looked at them briefly last time, but in Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, God gives us some guidelines as to how to go about disagreeing with one another in an agreeable way. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk or don't let any unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may give benefit or grace to those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate or kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you. Today and next week, we're going to use this as a basis or foundation upon which to build, but the reality of all of it is it's not. It's not an option. It's a command. Don't let any unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth but only that which is good for the moment or the building up of another person to to meet their needs at that given moment in time that will give grace to those who hear it. We need to be kind and tender-hearted. But in reality, as much as we want to pursue peace, sometimes conflict is inevitable. And what I want to do is share with you four facts that I believe that most of us can agree upon, and obviously there's going to be some who would disagree, But that's all right, because, you know, they are facts regarding disagreements. So let's take a look at four of them. The first one's this. Number one, disagreements. They're inevitable. Disagreements are inevitable. You know, we've gone through the series, and I've tried to to, uh, encourage us to understand that there's value to variety. We're all different. God has made us all different. We all see things differently. We all view things from a different perspective. And there's value to variety. But there's also a downside to it. And the downside to variety is that we're going to disagree from time to time from as far as our viewpoints are concerned. And that's just the way that it is. And you know, there's, there's room to disagree. I mean, look at the world that we live in. That's why you, you look at how many different automobile brands there are. You know, I'm in the air conditioning business and there's dozens of air conditioning models and brands. Even though there's only a couple manufacturers, there's all kind of brands. You know, and it's the same with cars. That's why there's vanilla and chocolate and strawberry ice cream. That's why there's all kind of different flavors. That's why Baskin Robbins has all kind of flavors to choose from. That's why if you don't like ice cream, you can have yogurt. If you don't like yogurt, you can have tofu. Why? I don't know, but that's an option. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you go through this and, and, and the disagreements are inevitable. But you know what I found that most of life's disagreements fall into what I call the pizza topping category. You know what that's all about? I mean, you ever try to order pizza for your family? You know, they they just they don't make it simple to order pizza, do they? I mean, there are, what, a hundred toppings to choose from. You can even get, like, Thai pizza. You can get nuts and stuff thrown on your pizza. I mean, you can get bacon and pineapple and, you know, and, and God knows that pizza was meant to be eaten pepperoni only. You know, God knows that. That's just, that's the, I mean, that was the way it was designed. Not with, you know, green peppers and, you know, and all the rest of this stuff. But, I mean, and, and whoever thought of throwing fish on pizza? I mean, what's that, you know, think about that anchovies, green peppers, onions I mean mushrooms, vegetarian pizzas barbecue chicken pizzas I mean you just go through all of this and, then you, and by the time, it's, time to, it's too late to order you know and it's time to have breakfast you know so you're going to disagree we all disagree but most of life's disagreements fall into that type of category you know what and what we've discovered is we can actually as a family order pizza and still care and love and be concerned about one another we've worked that out But you know what? We've got room in our country for, believe it or not, for Republicans and Democrats and moderates and liberals. And, you know, there's religious freedom, and including with that freedom, there's a lot of tension. But freedom produces tension. But that's all right. Disagreements are inevitable. I'm pretty strong. I I think that I've got firm convictions as far as my theological point of view. But just because I believe something doesn't mean you have to believe it. Doesn't mean that anybody has to believe it. Doesn't mean anybody has to agree with me. I know what I believe, I know in whom I believe, and I know why I believe and who I believe, and I know what He's done in my life, and I know what the Bible says, and I believe that, and I have firm convictions about it, but you may not agree with it. And that's all right. The point is is that we need to have a little bit of space in our relationship with one another to agree that we can disagree, and be agreeable in how we go about it. And especially if you're in a leadership position. Anyone that's in a leadership position in any area of life, whether it's in the home or family or church or in business or whatever, there's got to be wobble room in our relationships with other people. And we need to understand that. Which leads me to the second thing, which I think some of us will be, this will be maybe a rude awakening. It was for me. And that is, you know what, even godly people can sometimes disagree. Not long ago, I, I, I couldn't believe that this is true. I could not believe that two people who love the Lord with all the zeal and all their heart and love the word of God with everything that was in them and agreed that they love the Lord and they love the word of God can come to different conclusions on an issue. I couldn't believe that's possible. In my, my little mind that I've got, everything had to fall into a right and wrong. Someone had to be right and someone had to be wrong. That's the, I mean, that's the only two, I mean, that's the only two you know, logical conclusions for any disagreement. Someone's right and someone's wrong. But the interesting thing is, Dr. Bob Cook, while he was president of King's College, he said this, God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. I like that. I think I'll even go one step further and say, you know what, God's not, so near, nearly, he's not nearly so narrow as many of his people are. God's a lot easier to get along with than most of us are with one another. And I'm glad. He's far more tolerant. He's far more graceful than I have found in my relationship with other people. You know, God is a God of grace. The wonderful thing is they're not going to be any denominations in heaven. Don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You see, a whole bunch of people are there by the grace of God. No denominations, no differences, no differences of agreement. They're not going to be arguing about how we should have been baptized or whatever. I mean, we're just all going to be there. But until we get there, we've got to learn to deal with disagreeing with one another. One of my favorite poems is this. To dwell above with saints we love, that'll be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, that's another story. (laughs) Even godly people can disagree. Okay, now every disagreement has two ingredients. Always the same two ingredients. You ready? The first one is there's an issue. Now an issue is a principle. It is objective. It's a principle. The problem is that there's always various viewpoints and that becomes highly subjective. That's your opinion, that's my opinion, that's where it comes in on how do we deal with this issue. There's an issue that involves objectivity, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, the, the issue involves objectivity, the viewpoints involve subjectivity and points of view. We look at things differently. So as we look at an issue, we'll come about it from different directions of how to deal with it. And that's generally where the disagreements take place. How do we go about dealing with the issue, which we all agree upon, but how do we deal with it and deal with it in a way that we can all agree? And that's where we start rubbing or bumping heads with one another. One thing that will help you that always helps me is, is if I remember in the middle of a disagreement that there's an issue or a perspective that can be seen differently than mine, I calm down and I don't get so upset about it where we get upset with one another in our disagreements are when we go, hey, can't you see it my way? And the other person's like, but can't you see it my way? No, why? Because my way's right. I can't see it from that way because that's wrong. And we fall back into that right and wrong mentality. And we need to understand that, you know what? In many disagreements, each side is valid. I didn't say in everyone, but I'm saying in many, and as liberal as that sounds, don't throw it out before you have time to think about it. Think about it. In many disagreements, each side is valid. You see it from one perspective, the other person sees it from a different perspective. You see it from this angle, they see it from that angle. There's an issue that you agree upon, but the problem is how do we go about dealing with it? It happens all the time. It happens in families. It happens in husband-wife relationships. It happens in how do you deal with your children. It happens in what do you do about problems at work. It happens in how do you deal with problems or an issue at church. It happens in every area of life. And that is that one person sees it one way and the other person sees it the other way, but we're stuck or relegated to this. There has to be a right and wrong way to see it. And all that I'm here to say and challenge you to think about is, you know what? There are different viewpoints, and guess what? Both of them could equally be right. I'll give you an illustration. I'm trying to work out a transition with the Rams going back to St. Louis. And it's ama- I get a, a whole bunch of phone calls of people who would love to go ahead and, and uh, be chaplain or, or teach a Rams Bible study or whatever, and I got a call from Athletes in Action. And I know a lot of guys with Athletes in Action because I was, only, I was one of the few few businessmen that were doing what I did. All the rest were involved in Athletes in Action or Fellowship of Christian Athletes or Campus Crusade or whatever, they were plugged into some ministry. And so Athletes in Action called and said, hey Chuck, you know what? We've been working with you for the last 10 years and we'd really like to you know, get a couple in, in place in St. Louis to teach a Bible study. I said, well, I, that, that could be a possibility. What are you thinking? Well, we don't have anybody there now but what we'd like to do is we'd like to move a couple into that area and so I met with some of the guys we talked about and personally I didn't think it was a great idea so because I don't know if the couple they're going to move in is going to be capable of teaching I don't know if they're going to get along with the guys that are there if they've got the same uh, like-mindedness in different areas and, and I just didn't, I think it was too much of a risk rather I decided there was a guy from Fellowship of Christian Athletes who's been in St. Louis for 25 years the man's semi-retired, he's worked at the St. Louis Cardinal baseball team, he currently does, he worked with the football team before they moved to Phoenix, so they're already there, there's a couple in place. So when I talked to the guy from Athletes in Action, I said, you know what, it just seemed to us at this particular moment in time that the wisest course to pursue was to use the person that's already there, because he can help the guys in places to live and where to go and churches and daycare and childcare for their kids and, you know, and real estate, and just, they're there already. So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And he, and he disagreed with me, as you can imagine, because they had, you know, their agenda, and they wanted to get a couple in there. Now, we disagreed, but we did it as agreeably as we could, and just said, you know, I, you know we can disagree all that you want, but th- we've already made a decision. And that was kind of the end of it. But the reality of it was, it wasn't that we were right and he was wrong, it was just a matter of based on the circumstances, based on the current conditions, based on all the information that was available, we made a decision that was different than the one that he would have made. Now we could have got ugly about it and we could have started yelling and screaming at each other and we could have you know, called each other all kind of names and that happens in many disagreements, but it really didn't make any difference and it wasn't going to change anything. And fortunately, I had been working on this so I knew how to handle it a little better. So it's like, you know, we can be agreeable in our disagreement. But you know what's amazing thing is sometimes, believe this or not, sometimes it's God's will that people will disagree on an issue or on their viewpoint of how to resolve an issue. And God will use that disagreement to accomplish the furtherance of the gospel in two totally different directions. Can you believe that? Sometimes it's God's will that we disagree with one another and that's why it's important that we understand how to disagree agreeably knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for everything there are two men that we're going to look at in scripture today that God chose to do exactly that two men that were godly men one was the apostle of grace, the apostle Paul The other was an an apostle of encouragement, and his name was Barnabas. One promoted grace, the other promoted encouragement. And yet they came to a point in their life where they disagreed mightily about how to handle a certain situation. An issue came up, they had two opposing viewpoints. And I'm glad personally that God chose to allow us to to see how this was resolved, or at least to see what was involved in all of it, because it gives us some guidelines as to how to deal with our disagreements. You know, we've got two respected men, two godly men, men of integrity, Paul and Barnabas. They wrestle over an issue, and both of them felt very strongly. Both of them had different different viewpoints. You know what? I, what concerns me is that too often, you know, Christians resemble the little dog on the on the dashboard of a car. You know which one I'm talking about? The one that's head just bobs up and down all the time. It's like, you know, if if we would disagree with one another, you'd think that it was some major, major problem in our relationship with God and each other. And that we're supposed to just all just get along and all bob our heads up and down. and, and, And in fact, if you disagree, I know people that will try to control you to the point of saying, well, how can you question me? How can you question what we want to do? This is God's will. This is God's direction. And if you are differing in your opinion or your viewpoint, you know, you're not a team player. You're not going along with what God wants. And they would, they would make you feel guilty about having a different viewpoint. And, and it's like, oh, man, you know, what, what gives you the right to, to think differently than us? We saw that, and this is part of the ugly stuff that came out with when John Vodder was here in the candidate process. This is part of the ugliness of not knowing how to, to be agreeable in our disagreement. And that's why I want this to be personal, and I want this to be practical and applicable, because the, 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 the accusations were thrown both ways. How can you disagree? Don't you, aren't you a team player? Aren't you part of this process? And the process is yes, but I've got a different viewpoint than you. And here's why. Well, I can't understand how you could. You must be wrong. And on and on it goes. And so we need to understand that, you know what, oftentimes disagreement is part of God's plan. And we need to be open to our disagreements with one another. We need to learn to listen. We need to understand that, you know what, we're not going to see things the same way. I like what uh, G. Campbell Morgan writes. He says, you know what, it's not true that disagreements among Christians is wrong necessarily because grace leaves room for a few clashes. He goes, I'm greatly comforted whenever I read about this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. I'm thankful for the revelation of the humanity of these men. If I had never read that Paul and Barnabas had a contention, I should have been afraid. These men were not angels. They were men. And I like that. They were real people dealing with real issues, and they had different viewpoints, and they they, they went at it. And so what we need to understand is, you know what? If you've got your Bibles, look with me to Acts chapter 13. I want to give you a little background as we get into this because the issue is important to understand the different viewpoints. Acts chapter 13. Now, one more thought as you're turning there before we get into this specific clash between them. No matter how much good comes from disagreements, they hurt. Don't they? No matter how much good comes from disagreements, they hurt. Particularly if you're the one who's been offended and you got that boiling point inside of you and you just wanna unload with both barrels on somebody to make sure they understand your point of view and you decide not to do that and you just keep it to yourself and you have to deal with that, it hurts. And so we need to understand no matter how much good comes out of disagreements, no matter how much we will be agreeable in our disagreements, it's still there's gonna be some pain and emotion involved in all of it. And so that's just part of it. But in Acts chapter 13, give you a little backdrop for the disagreement that we're about to look at. Paul and Barnabas are about to go on a missionary trip, and they decide in Acts chapter 13, if you look at verse 5, that on their way, they decided they're going to take John as their helper. It says, and when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. So they decided that on this trip, they were going to take John Mark, as he was known, and he was going to help them out on this missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas go on this trip. They decide to take John Mark, who happens to be Barnabas' cousin. Now, the reasons that I took him, I don't know. It just says that he was there to help. So his purpose wasn't just to tag along and enjoy the trip. His purpose was to get involved, roll up his sleeves, and get involved in the ministry and do something. And we know that from Acts 12, 12, that the church at that time, one of the churches met at John Mark's home. So maybe they took him out of deference to, to their, her, his mother. Maybe they respected her and they said, you sure would like to take him along with us. Whatever the reasons are, God doesn't get into him and we can all disagree and be agreeable in our disagreement as to why he went. But the reality of it was is he decided to go to hell. And so as we look at all of these things, they got into an area and for whatever reason it became very difficult. Maybe it was harder to take this area than you know it was to take the coast of Normandy during the Second World War. You know, it was mosquito-infested, it, it, uh, it was feverish coastline, uh, the honeymoon obviously was over as they got into this area, and it became too much for John Mark at this particular point. In verse 13 it says, Now Paul and his companions put out the sea from Paphos to Perga in uh, Pamphylia, and J- John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John decided, I'm out of here. Now commentators are great. Throughout history, they've all had different terms and they've all used different words to describe what John Mark had done. But basically, he bailed out. He said, you know what? This got a little tougher than I thought I was going to get and I'm out of here. Paul says he deserted them. And so as he looked at all these things, and, if, and if, I, if I understand correctly what's going on historically, this is the same time that Paul had contracted malaria. He was sick. They were being persecuted everywhere that they went. The going got tough, and at any time, any place where you needed to make sure the people with you were there standing with you was at this particular time. And in fact, it was on this particular missionary trip that the Apostle Paul was stoned and left for dead. So he had malaria, he was sick, he was persecuted, he was stoned and left for dead, and all in this process, before this happened, John Mark said, this is too tough, I'm bailing out. And so he left. And so Paul and Barnabas come back, they survive the trip and they go back to Antioch and they begin to tell the story of what has happened as far as their missionary trip. And I wonder if John Mark was sitting in the back of the church listening to the report as they came back and maybe having second thoughts and regrets that he bailed out on them. So now here comes the critical issue. Okay? And if you've ever watched any fights from Las Vegas, Steve Wynn has a great line. He said, let's get ready to rumble. And that's what exactly is going to happen here in Acts chapter 15. We see that. Sometime later, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back to the churches that we just found and let's find out what's going on. Let's see how everybody's doing and let's see what we can, what we find out. So it says, sometimes later, this is Acts 15, 36 through 41. It says, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with him, but Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Okay. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Sicily, Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Okay, now remember what I said, every disagreement has two same ingredients. The first one is what? An issue. Okay, what's the issue here? The issue is, should we take John Mark with us or not? You follow this? The viewpoints are, yes, Barnabas says, yes, Paul says, no way. That's the issue. Should we take him with us or not? And these, and these two men came to differing viewpoints, and they dug their heels in, and the issue was clear. It was basically, should we give him another chance or not? They both dug their heels in the ground. One said yes, the other said absolutely not. Now, I can't help but notice the parallel between the issue and many similar issues that we all face on a regular basis. If you remember all the issues we've discussed in the past couple of sessions, the all the should you eat meat issues. You know, the issues of our day. You know, the pizza topping disagreements. You know, what movies do we see? Do men wear earrings? Alcoholic beverages? Do you smoke? Do you do cards? Do you dance? What kind of dances? Hairstyles? Clothes styles? Uh, Do you come to two services, one service? Do you go on the evenings? Do you just go in the mornings? Should you be in a shepherd group? Shouldn't you be in a shepherd group? All All the pizza topping disagreements that we get into, right? And there's a parallel here, and there's an issue involved. Should you, and then you fill in the blank. And now it's time for the opposing viewpoints. And at the risk of also applying scripture to real life situations and very sensitive ones close to home, stop and think about this and I want you to look back and, and ask yourself a question and that is, should a pastor, should a minister, should anybody that's in a position of ministry that has fallen, whether it's in sexual immoral areas or any other areas of sin, whether it's lying, cheating, stealing, whatever, go through all of them, be given another chance in a leadership position or in another ministry? That's a very real difficult issue. And, we, and we, we're, you know, we dealt with it, we're still dealing with it, right? And you need to ask yourself a question. That's the issue. Everyone can agree on that. As long as we agree on what scripture says as far as what is right and wrong, what is sin and not sin, if we get to the sin issue and say, yes, that is a sin, and that was wrong, that's the issue. Now the issue is, how do we deal with it? How do, should this person be given another chance? Should John Mark be given another chance? What's the viewpoints? One says, absolutely. The other says, absolutely not. There's no way. So now go back to it. Let me ask you a question. Uh, at, at the risk of, of uh, dividing all of us up, but I, you know, why not? <laughs> who would you vote for? Who would you vote for? Would you vote for Barnabas who says, hey, we all make mistakes, we all mess up, let's give him another shot, let's take him with us. Let me see your hand. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Now, how many, how many agree with Paul? No way, he's a failure. He's a loser. He, he, he failed us the last time. Okay, look, I mean, look at this. We're, we're about like 90-10 here, right? About, really, we're about 90% in favor of Barnabas. Hey, give him another chance. To Paul's 10% saying, no way. Yeah, I know. Well, that's okay. And I Oh, we read the story and we know the ending. Well, anyway let's take a look at both viewpoints. Let me go through them. Okay, you got Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement. Okay, Now here's a guy that stood up for the apostle Paul. Read Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. Paul becomes a Christian. He's converted. The other brothers in the Lord say, hey, you know what? We don't trust him because we know he was persecuting the church. Oh, and now he says that he's, he, he's come to know the Lord. And now, oh, okay, now he's one of us. We don't trust him. Don't let him in here. And Barnabas says, no, I'm telling you, he has. It's it's authentic. It's legitimate. I've met with him. He's come to know the Lord. And he's been saved. And he wants to join us and be part of us. And he wants to spread the gospel. And we need to give him a chance. That's Barnabas. That's his history. He's the son of encouragement. That's the Bible presents him in many different ways. And so that's just who he is. But Paul's style is different. Paul's style is, hey, you know what? He failed the last time. He's going to fail again. And we can't take a chance on him failing us. Somebody may get hurt. Remember what happened this last time. I almost got killed because a guy deserted us. He wasn't there for us. And don't you understand how dangerous it is to give somebody else another chance? Don't you see how, how stupid that would be? He's already failed us once. It's not like we don't know anything about him. He's already shown his true colors. And so we're struggling now going back and forth. Paul looked at everything from the standpoint of what can this person do for God's work? And what did Barnabas look at? He said, you know what? What can God's work do for this person? What will God's work do in this person's life? Paul was like, I don't care about that. I want to know what this person can do for the Lord. Not what the Lord can do for this person. And so now, all of a sudden, they're struggling, and they see things from from two different viewpoints, and they're they're really concerned about this, and they don't know what to do. And unfortunately, most of us have fallen into this habit or this trap of, of saying, well, who's right? And who's wrong? Someone's got to be right. Someone's got to be wrong. We want everything in life to fall into neat little clean packages of this is right and this is wrong. But you know what? It always doesn't do that, does it? There are many issues in life that are not that simple. I'll give you an example. I'm reading through the Bible. I see Jesus as he confronts a woman caught in adultery and he says to her, go and sin no more. And he allows her to go and she wasn't stoned for her sin. But then I read in Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to God. They sold their property. They held back a piece of what they got and they only gave so much of it to the church. And God says, because you lied, you died. That's what he said. And they died. Well, who's right and who's wrong? Well, God chose to do what he did for his own reasons. And one time he shows grace and mercy and the other time he enacts judgment and swiftly so that people would learn a lesson. But we learned a lesson from both of them, didn't we? There's no right and there's no wrong. God does what he does and it's always right. But it's different. Perhaps both men were right on some things and they were wrong on other things. God only knows their heart. Maybe they struggled with pride in their heart. God knows their thoughts and their motives. They, he knows what was going on in the innermost parts of their being. Maybe they both dug in and they, had, they were headstrong because Barnabas was a leader and so Paul came along and then Paul took over and now he was a leader and he wanted to do something different than Barnabas did and maybe they were clashing because of that. I don't know. God doesn't reveal it. God knows their intentions and he knows their hearts. Maybe, you know, they had an attitude of pridefulness that said, you know what, it's my way or the highway. You don't like what I want to do? Then you go somewhere else and do what you want to do. But I'm in control here. Or maybe it was this: they disagreed and they saw things differently and it was none of that. And they were both right before God in their hearts and in their intentions and their thoughts and how they wanted to carry things out. I think that we need to understand one thing happened here and it became quite heated. It says, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them. In Pamphylia, and he would not continued on with them. And they had such a sharp disagreement. It got hot, man. Now, let me give you Barnabas, I mean Paul's side of things. In Proverbs 25, 19, we read this. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. I'm going to ask you a question. Raise your hand again if you were voting for Barnabas. Raise your hand. Keep him up. Let me ask him. Have you ever loaned money to someone who hasn't paid you back? Keep your hands up. Oh, same hands are up anyway, huh? All right? Would you loan them money again? Yeah. It's all the wife's going like this. Yeah, he always does anyway. You know Have you ever Have you ever displayed trust in a child and found that that child misled you or deceived you. I'm going to stay over so-and-so's house. Find out they're not at so-and-so's house. Or here, I'm going to be back at a certain time. They don't come back at a certain time. Or here, they have the car, and you have a friend who sees them driving recklessly somewhere, and, and, and you get the report back. Hey, uh, where were you? Oh, I was in this area. Yeah, someone saw you. Have you ever had, had, you know, demonstrated trust toward a person who violates your trust? Is it easy to trust them again? Hmm, maybe not, huh? How about you ever had an employee who worked for you, who lied to you, deceived you, stole from you, said they were in a job, they weren't in a job, turned at a certain time, they didn't really work, stole something from you, you caught them? Is it easy to trust them again? Not at all, is it? Interesting. You ever have a spouse cheat on you? If you're dating, you ever have a date cheat on you? Is it easy to trust them again? No, it's not, is it? Now let's go back to this. See, when it's us, when it's me who has been violated by someone whom I trusted, it's a lot harder for me to forget that and say, give him another chance. It's easy for every person in this room to say, you know what? I side with Barnabas. Give him another chance we all make mistakes but you're the same person that won't even trust your child yet your spouse yet your employee yet someone else at the church yet But sure is easy when you're standing off at a distance to say what you should do isn't it who's right and who's wrong can I say this It's not a question of right or wrong. It's not that simple, is it? See, there's two sides, there's two viewpoints, and both of these viewpoints are very valid. And we need to recognize that. Do we give people a second chance? Yes, absolutely. Have I given people a second chance and they violated the second opportunity? Absolutely. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the tenth. Would I be wrong to say no more chances in this particular area? Not necessarily. But you see, I've got to do what's right before God. I need to pray for wisdom in these areas. We need to determine whether this is the right time or not. And see, all that Paul was saying is, you know what? In my viewpoint, it's not the right time. And Barnabas was saying, yeah, but in my viewpoint, it's the right time. He could be useful. And there's no better time because I know him and he'll be destroyed if we don't give him another chance right now. He's my cousin. He's close. I know him. If we don't get him right back in the saddle, he may never want to ride that horse again. And I know him. Paul says, but I don't care. And now they've got to deal with this. So what do they do? said, well, this ain't going to work. So you go your way and I'll go my way. And Paul took Silas and he went his way and Barnabas took John Mark and they went their way. And they went two different directions. They separated. But I want to tell you something. There is nothing casual about this solution. It wasn't entered into flippantly. They had been friends a long time. Barnabas and Paul had been friends from the very beginning. They stuck up for one another. They stood in there in the midst of opposition. Barnabas stayed by Paul's side through all the opposition that John Mark ran away from. Barnabas stood by Paul as he was confronted by the early church when Paul had just come to know the Lord and said, I vouch for him, I'm there with him, and I don't care what you say, let's go. And he stood up for him. And they were close and they were tight, and there was nothing casual or flippant about their conclusion to separate and go different areas. There was a sharp disagreement, it was a heated disagreement. The word talks about that it was almost like it was an explosion of emotions. That they were poking one another in the chest. I say, take him. I say, he's not going. I say, give him another chance. I say, no way. Don't you see what he did? And they went at it, boy. They went at it like we've gone at it many occasions on different situations in our life, haven't they? And haven't we? Man, I hope that none of us will ever forget something, though. And it says this. That Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. You know, it's fascinating as you look back on church history, but Barnabas and Mark had a tremendous ministry in the area that they went. Planted churches and people came to know the Lord. And Paul and Silas, we can read about all through scripture because God chose to record that and the same thing happened. And what's amazing is that Barnabas and Mark went that way and God blessed them. And Paul and Silas went that way and God blessed them. And they were agreeable in their disagreement. They couldn't come to an agreement on it. And you know what? And God was glorified anyway throughout it all. The problem is that it hurts. But we need to understand as we look at all of this, that they were commended to the grace of God. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, when all is said and done, all is said and truly said about divisions and Christendom, there remains by God's mercy an enormous common ground. You know what, in light of all this, I want to challenge us to consider that we need to encourage one another. I want us to look at even the situation that we've gone through here at Calvary Church. And I want you to consider something. Knowing Chuck Smith to some degree, Chuck Smith has always had a reputation to be a Barnabas kind of guy. Anybody that knows him will tell you that. He's an encourager, He's an uplifter. He's a builder of men. He has a tendency to lean on this direction when it comes to areas as we've gone through here, per, uh, here personally. He's just a guy that builds people up. He's a Barnabas. And yet, when you're dealing with something as we've dealt with, and as you look at what we've gone through with Pastor David and the men who were directly involved on the Board of Elders, who worked with him, who trusted him, who, were, who had been given trust and, 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 and reciprocated trust, they're the ones closest dealing with the issue. The viewpoints were different, but the issue was the same. How do we deal with this? How do we handle this? How do we restore someone who has fallen? There was never a question of whether what was done was right or wrong. What was done was wrong, and everyone agreed to that. It was, how do we deal with it now? And so now we've got one person who says, well, I want to go this direction. Another group of people would say, but I think we should do this. And the ugliness of all of it is, is that we couldn't see that collectively as a group of people. And that is simply this, that you know what? God's will, oftentimes, is to bring about disagreement even in his own body so that his purposes can be fulfilled. And the sad part of all of it is we didn't have to be ugly with one another and disagreeable with one another in our disagreement. And if nothing else that we've learned from all of this and I'm trying to encourage us to consider is that, you know what? I'm not always right. And you're not always right. And sometimes it's not even a question of right or wrong. Sometimes it's a question of handling things differently. And the quicker we learn that and the the sooner we understand that, the easier it will be and and the more readily we will be able to be dispensers of grace to people that we come in contact with in our life. No, I don't see it that way. But I do see it from your vantage point and I understand your point of view and I accept that and I respect that. Would I do it the same way? No. But that doesn't matter. If I'm not the person who's in charge, if it's not my business, for example, and I'm the guy who comes to the final conclusion, like in the case with the Rams, I had the, the privilege of coming to the final conclusion. When you're in authority position, you have to make final decisions, and that was my final decision. Now, people may not like that, but as long as it was my decision to make, that's the decision that I made and the same within your home, and the same within business, and the same within the church, and the same anywhere where there's order and structure, and there's authority. You may not agree with it, but we need to understand there's two vantage points and viewpoints to all of it, and I think that when we understand that, the emotions tend to be put aside. So let me just give you, please just hang in there. I want to give you four, four, four facts, or not four facts, but basically four guidelines for future disagreements, All right, because there will be some. You can bank on it. Number one. And we'll, cl- we'll close on this. Always leave room for an opposing viewpoint. Always leave room for an opposing viewpoint. God help us to never forget this. If you don't leave room for an opposing viewpoint, you are going to be devastated by the viewpoints that your children come up with concerning life. Isn't that true? How many of you have parents? I, I mean, have parents. <laughs> How many? Uh, uh, you know, at-, at, least, at least at one point in time or another in your life. Um, But if you've had children, you understand what I'm talking about. They see things totally different. And you better be open to an opposing viewpoint. And you better know why you believe what you believe. And you better know why you're doing what you do. Because if you don't, man, they'll see right through it and they'll rip you apart. Always leave room for an opposing viewpoint. If you're in a leadership position, whether you own a business or you're on a board or whomever you are, if you're a parent, whatever, in a leadership position, always leave room for an opposing viewpoint. You know why? because God can actually speak through opposition to help us see something from a different angle and a different light. We will learn and continue to grow and learn as long as we're willing to listen to each other's opposing viewpoints. What I already know, I can't learn because I already know it. But what you see, if I'm open to listen, I may learn something new. Right? Number two. If an argument occurs, don't take cheap shots. One of the tragedies of disagreements is that when your point of view and your argument is weak, we have a tendency to take cheap shots and character assassinations to make the other person's viewpoint seem diminished because of their character. Don't ever do that. That is wrong before God. Gossip and malice and envy and strife. Just put it all behind you. Don't assassinate someone's character because they have a different viewpoint than you. And we can do it. And there are a whole bunch of people that I know that are real good at it. It's like, don't deal with the issue and the viewpoint. Let's somehow or another attack the character of the person so now their viewpoint doesn't matter anymore. Don't do that. You know, it's amazing. I have friends that live in the South and, you know, you, you, you'd still think that the South didn't lose the Civil War. I mean, if you've ever been there, it's true. you still think the South didn't lose the Civil War. I, I know some of my friends that was in high school before they finally realized, as they read history books, that, you know, they lost. <laughs> and sometimes what we've got to do in life is just say, you know what? I lost. But I can learn something from it. And that's all right. Some of the greatest lessons in life that I have learned have come through losses, not victories, through defeat, not through times of glory. It's been the struggles of life that we, lo- that, that we learn our lessons. If an argument occurs, don't take cheap shots. Don't attack someone's character. You know what? And if you don't get your way, get over it and move on with your life. That's simple. You don't get your way, get over it. Move on with life. Don't be full of bitterness. Don't be always living in the past. You lost, you lost. Now deal with what it is today and move on with life. And the last thing, and sometimes the best solution is to separate. But I want to say this, that the threat to separate is not a weapon to be used just to try to get your way. The conclusion to separate comes after many hours of prayer and agony and crying and tears of coming to every angle that you can to try to resolve your differences. You know what? Sometimes we just can't do that. And the best thing to do is to separate, to go in another direction. You know, if you've got an adult child at home and your arguments are more frequent than the times that you share that are are good, then it's time for that child to move on. You know, if you're in a church and, and your disagreements are greater than the things that you can agree upon, then it's time to move on If you're in a business and you're arguing more with your boss and co-workers than you are getting along with them, then it's time to move on and to go in another direction. And you know what's wonderful about it? Sometimes that's how God leads us to where He wants to take us. Hey! And it's not a question of, well, we've been here longer and I'm not leaving. (laughs) But we see that everywhere. Oh, man, we see it all the time. But I got seniority. I'm not leaving. They're leaving. Wow. I've been in the church longer. In fact, you know how long we've been here? I got the original, the little pin they gave us. Original member. I've been here. So what? What is this? You know, a seniority system or something? What is this? The union? What, what are we talking about here? This is God's family. This is God's church. He'll do whatever He wants in it. And He'll do what He wants when He wants to do it. And He's going to do it with you or without you. And it doesn't matter. And if you don't like it, you go somewhere else. It's not that big a deal. If you don't like your business, then move on somewhere else. That's okay. See, you know, that, that's a wonderful thing about what, what uh, Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark were able to conclude. You know what? It's time to go in different directions. But may God have all the glory and the praise. And you know, it's a wonderful thing in 2 Timothy 2.14, we read this. The Apostle Paul says, You know what? And when you come to my aid, and you come to me, bring John Mark with, me, with you because he will be of some value to me and some worthy service. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. What Barnabas saw in him, it was true. There was good in him, and God used him. But what Paul saw in him was true also at that particular time that he saw it. But may I suggest this? There's a time in any, every one of our lives where we must be agreeable in our disagreements. And there's a time where the, when there's bitterness and there's anger and there's malice and all of that that are involved. It's time that we learn to kiss and make up as God's people. And it's time that we come out and we shake each other's hand. And we just give all the glory and the praise. Because when we are agreeable in our disagreements, it's a testimony to the world of the love that God's people have for Him and for one another. And we're bigger than our differences because our God is a God of amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time to be together. Thank You for Your Word. God, help us today to put into... Application of things that we've learned. To realize it's not just a matter of right or wrong, it's a matter of seeing things differently. God, give us open minds and open spirits to see things as others see them. And also to give us the, the compassion and the kindness and the tenderness as, as we speak to one another to do it in a way that builds one another up. And God, as we come to places in life where we disagree with one another, may we do it in an agreeable way, in a way that brings you all the praise and all the glory. For your amazing grace. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.